God's word that we'll hear today uh, as we celebrate the Reformation and also as we wrap up our uh, study of the wisdom that God gives us in Proverbs is going to be on, admittedly, a specific aspect and benefit of what the gospel does for us. Um, this, this Reformation, admittedly, I, we are not going to be looking at the whole of the gospel message, and it's not a, a history of the Reformation message. Instead, it's, it's on one area of life that the Reformation had a significant impact on, and that's on family life. Uh, family life. And so that's what we'll take a look at here today. Let's pray as we hear God's word. Heavenly Father, sanctify us. Make us holy by the truth. That truth that we're going to hear right now. Please be with us as we hear this truth. And may it work deep conviction in us to bring the gospel into our families. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you'll have to be a little more interactive with me because we're a small group here than we are sometimes. How many uh, of you would say your family is kind of crazy? W would you say your family's kind of crazy? Maybe even more than a little crazy? Yeah, maybe. Is your family crazy? Sometimes. Can you hear me, Don? You can't hear me? Too much echo? Oh. It doesn't come through. I apologize. Huh. Well, I, I think a lot of us would connect with something like this. Hello, mental hospital? Yes, I would like to reserve a family suite. We say... Our family probably deserves, if anything, to be in a, a little bit of a, of a mental hospital. We're so dysfunctional. And yet, we would certainly say we, we also love our families more than anything. Uh, or maybe, maybe this Home Alone is more your thing. You remember watching Home Alone in the late 90s, early 2000s, and saying, that's my family. They're not, the, not the part where he gets necessarily left alone, but they're so dysfunctional and so disorganized. You know, and I look out at our, our congregation and I look out at family and friends and people we know and I don't want to say we're exactly the same, but we have a lot of, of singles, just married individuals or family units that are dysfunctional and messy. People who have very bad habits, alcoholism, abuse, violence, drugs, infidelity, unfaithfulness, lying, deceit, manipulation. These things are, are present in lots of families. And, and we have very healthy and individual single and married couples and then also family units, places where there is not all of these drugs and abuse and violence and alcohol, and where, where there's not deceit and lying and manipulation on a constant basis. And one of the other things that I notice, and we have a lot of, is we have entire clans, multiple generations of families. That's what a clan is, multiple generations of families connected together. And we can see clans that are dysfunctional and, and unhealthy. We know 
of clans where grandpa or maybe great-grandpa was an alcoholic. Or maybe it just was so distant and separated from the family. And that has been passed on then for generation of, after generation. We, we know clans where the, the, the clans are, are passing on alcoholism or abuse or an unwillingness to spend time with each other. They're so dysfunctional. And we also know clans that are very healthy. Clans where there is not deceit and manipulation, but there's honesty, integrity, mutual love and support, respect and yet accountability, uh, forthrightness and integrity. And that gets passed on from generation to generation. You know, we would all be a, a lot better off if we could take the sentiment to heart that tells us, look, you, you, you don't know what everybody else is going through. Um, everybody's going through the same thing. You know, there's been so many times where somebody has been telling me uh, that our family has these problems, and man, I just don't want to even talk about it because our family is so bad. And, and I, there's so many times where I just want to tell, I, I don't want to break integrity, but I want to scream back at them. Dude, everybody is, is like this. Everybody's family is is pretty messed up. Uh, and, and it's only when the transforming gospel of God gets to work in your family that anything changes. One of the coolest examples of this is the Bible, the family of Abraham. God called Abraham to leave his family and to start an entire new clan. And Abraham brings with him a lot of the bad habits of his old family. And maybe you've noticed that. When Abraham leaves his homeland and he goes to the new land, he lies publicly about his wife twice. Not once, but twice. Publicly, he says, I don't know her. I'm not married to her. <laughs> how long, would your, how long would, your, uh, would your wife put up with you if you lied about her publicly? Probably not very long, huh? And, and that lying was passed on from Abraham to Isaac. Isaac was uh, uh, deceitful. It, it was passed on then to Jacob. Jacob lied to his father once at a very significant point in his life as a young man. But then we can start to see some change because Jacob got deceived later in his life by Laban. After that, Jacob gave up the lying. And his son Joseph was a model of honesty. God worked grace over four generations to undo the sin that was breaking the family. And God did this in all sorts of habits. Uh, Abraham took mistresses for himself. By the time God got to Joseph, Joseph refused to even engage in adultery. Uh, Abraham split apart his family. It literally, he, right, he sent some of his kids, sent them away. By the time God got to Joseph, Joseph was the great reconciler who brought Benjamin and Reuben Simeon back together. See, this is what God's grace does. Over the generations, God can undo the unhealthy sin in the family. God's grace transforms, literally changes the people so that the family can reconnect. 
And, and this is what God wants to have us be able to do as we hear the words in Proverbs. God's word in Proverbs gives us specific action steps to bring health like this to families. And, and I would say God does it with, with two points. Um, I'm gonna, we're going to skip this and we'll go right ahead to this Proverbs chapter 23, verses 22 and following. And you can read these words with me if you'd like this morning, okay? If you want to read them there. Proverbs 23 says, Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Wisdom and instruction and insight as well. The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. And I, I don't know about you, but I notice two things in these verses that uh, are instructive for us when it comes to having a healthy family. A healthy family is a family that lives on wisdom. That's the first thing, right? It's listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother. So there's got to be some, some pushback. There's got to be some confrontation. There's got to be some, some accusation even in a family life. There's got to be some discipline. All of these things, they have to be present in family. There has to be a wisdoming present in a family. Buy the truth and do not sell it. So you can't let go ever of wisdom in family life. At, at the flip side of it is, is a, a family that is a good family is a great joy. It brings rejoicing to the father. It brings rejoicing even to the father and the mother, and it, it makes the mother be joyful. See, Proverbs, Proverbs really gets something well. Proverbs doesn't list all of the duties of a son. Proverbs doesn't spend forever telling how to be a good uh, daughter. Proverbs doesn't worry about those things. Proverbs simply says that no matter the age, no matter the time, whether it's 3,000 years ago in ancient Judea, or it's current day in the United States, whether it's 500 years ago in Germany, or it's today in Michigan, families impart wisdom to each other. You have to do that. There has to be some confrontation and some pushback in the family life to give wisdom. And yet, a healthy family also learns to celebrate the blessings that it has. It rejoices in one another. And when those two things come together, that brings real health to a family. You notice what Proverbs doesn't do. Proverbs doesn't put incredibly long lists of duties on kids, or on adults for that matter. That's not going to bring health to your family. Proverbs doesn't berate and put women down. You know, this is an incredible thing. You think Proverbs is a 3,000-year-old text. It came out of a very traditional, a very patriarchal society. And still, Proverbs doesn't denigrate women at all. In fact, Proverbs 31 is one of the most famous chapters in all of literature to elevate and to praise women. Good family life 
both confronts wisdoms, corrects the unhealthy things, and it celebrates the very best gifts that we've been given. Can you do that with your family? Is that where you are with your family? Can you both wisdom your family, confront it and discipline it, and encourage it? Proverbs would have us be free from our families for our families. That's, that's what Proverbs wants from us. He wants us. It wants us to get free from our families for your family. See, if you're, if you're so tied into your family, if you need your family, then you can't confront it, can you? If you need your kids to always like you, you can't confront them. But if you can't ever be part of your family, you can't rejoice in it. You can't celebrate it. Jesus has the perfect solution for being in our families well. It came out of one of the most starkest examples. It was, it was one time where Jesus uh, was teaching in his hometown. All these people gathered around him. Somebody came up and said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers and your sisters are outside. Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus responded and said, Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Do you, do you know how radical a statement this was? Do you know how, how, how shocking these words were? See, it wasn't surprising in the ancient world to call somebody your brother or sister if they were a co-practicer of your faith. So if you guys, if you had the same faith, you could call them a brother or a sister. It, it also wasn't surprising to call somebody who was your senior, your father or mother in the faith. Less common, but, but not still surprising. But you know what was really surprising about this? Allowing ties in the religious community to supersede biological ties was unheard of in the ancient world. Right? Allowing ties to take precedence over your biological family. Nobody in the ancient world shows their family of faith over their biological family. Nobody did. Nobody did. But you see, Jesus is saying here, it's the people who can choose their family of faith over their biological family, who can finally be free to serve their families. Jesus says, you need, uh, you need to be God's brother, you need to be God's sister, you need to be God's mother, and then you'll be able to do God's will in your family life. And, and certainly, that's going to involve what you do. But ultimately, Jesus says, the work of God is to believe on him who sent me. Doesn't he? The will of God is to believe on him. When you see Jesus on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You ever wonder why he says in those words, my God, my God, and not my Father, my Father? 
You know, you know, in the Bible, there's only one time where Jesus doesn't call his father, father. You think he prays the Lord's Prayer, what does he say? When, when Jesus prays the Lord's Prayer, he says, our father. Uh, when Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, do not take this cup from me, my father, yet not your will, but my will be done. Uh, when Jesus stands trial, he says, look, could I not call on my father and he would send uh, a thousand legions of angels? Right? He, he calls his God father except for one time, one time on the cross where he says, my God, my God. Why? Why does he do that? Because, because he has experienced such alienation in that moment. He's no longer part of the eternal triune God and his family. He's left the holy family of God and he has become part of our sinful family. He's taken on the, the dysfunction of our sin. He has been pushed out of the family of God. And he screams out to his father, but not his father anymore, who is he's just his God. He's lost that place in the family. So that you and I believe the one who lost his family can give us an eternal family. When you see that he has lost his place in his eternal family so that you can have a place there, then you will finally have an eternal family. It doesn't matter how, how broken your hopes for your family are. It doesn't matter how disappointed you are in your family. It doesn't matter how much hurt your family has brought you. Your every hope for your family is still available before you in your eternal family. There is, there is no dream for your family that God will not bring true in eternity. And the more you see that Jesus gave up his spot and his family to make you part of that family, the more your dreams can be reality. So let's do this, right? Let's be free from our earthly families so we can have a part in Jesus' eternal family. And then we'll be free to finally serve our families. You know, this is the great insight of the Reformation. Right? Every, time, every time the gospel shows up and it says, you have an eternal family, then something changes in our physical families. In early Christianity, what changed was two things: the patriarchy, right? In in the ancient Christianity or in the ancient Christian world, as soon as the gospel showed up, women got elevated again in society, and men realized the importance of their marriage with them. At the same time, then children were valued not because they were the heirs and they could take over the family, but children were just valued as people, as fellow human beings. The Reformation, it was, it was, it was different. Uh, it, because by the time of the Reformation, it was the work of the church that had become valued and raised up over even the family. 
the family was, was denigrated in society. And you were considered a really good person if you would give up your family life to go become a monk or a nun. But it was, it was Luther and it was his friends who came along and could say something like, like this, that those very works in connection with the household are more desirable than all the works of the monks and the nuns. Right? Luther, Luther could look at a, at a dear saint of God and say, you, dear saint, are righteous in God's sight. You are approved and accepted by God. And because you are approved, your work in your family is more desirable than all of the works of the monks. You realize what God is saying there? He's saying that your washing of the dishes is just as valuable as your prayers at church. When you wash the dishes, that's just as important as the prayers at church. And what about us today? More than, more than one person has said that the, the great issue, the great idolatry of us today, as much as, as money, as much as power, is the family. Especially for good Midwestern people, the family is, is often treasured more than anything. We, we take a good thing and we make it into an ultimate thing when we sacrifice participation in church life for sports and growth activities for kids. We, we take a good thing and we make it into the ultimate thing when we sacrifice our offerings so we can save for college tuition. We take a good thing and we make it an ultimate thing when we fail to openly discuss our family's failures and foibles because we don't want anybody to think badly or ill of our families. And maybe, maybe that's not the specific way that you might have been tempted to take to make your family into an idol. But anytime we've taken a good thing and we make it into an ultimate thing, that's idolatry. We get saved by it when we see that Jesus, Jesus has said to each of us, you have a spot in my eternal family. And there is nothing that I will not give up so that you can have that spot. Nobody can ever take that away from you because Jesus will never take it away from you. And people who belong to that eternal family then are really free to serve their families. So let's close with prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for the opportunity today to, uh, to hear this amazing word from you that we, when we belong to the family of God, that we are free to serve our families. Please keep us from turning our families into idols. Let us cherish them as the amazing gifts that they are, celebrate them, but also be able to wisdom them because we have a place in eternal family. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.